Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think there's no doubt that if you can see the humorous side of things, you can get through life rather easier than if you just... Uh, me about everything because essentially I think that life is absurd uh, it was Albert Camus said the realisation that life is absurd should not be an end but a beginning Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me Paul Barros and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport and entertainment who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humour with you Humorology is the study of how humour can dramatically improve your business and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is the self-proclaimed Mayor of Balham. In addition to his possibly made-up political prowess, he has built a cracking career as a comic writer and presenter, both on stage and screen. His alternative stand-up roots and routines have been rightly lauded as legendary, having stormed clubs and theatres all over the world, from the Edinburgh Fringe to the Hackney Empire. His stage play, an Evening with Gary Lineker, written with Chris England, was nominated for an Olivier Award and was adapted for television. He himself has also well adapted for television, making memorable appearances in Red Dwarf, Have I Got News For You and Grumpy Old Men, just to name a few. When he isn't leaving physical audiences in stitches, you can hear him on the airways in shows like Radio 4's Loose Ends, Excess Baggage, The Smith Lectures and Arthur Smith's Last Hangover. It's not often that our show is blessed with such mayoral majesty. Arthur Smith, welcome to the Humorology Podcast. I am the Mayor of Ballam, oh yes I bloody am. I am the Mayor of Ballam, I bloody bloody am. That's my lovely song that I wrote for myself. I wrote the oh, libretto for that. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. <laughs> You're not sounding that convinced. <laughs> no, but uh, you and I go way back, so I, I was hoping that I could be more convincing than that. And talking of talking of way back, the Jesuits, which I know you're keen on, um, say, "Give me a child of seven, and I will give you the man." Was the young Arthur Smith? 
humorous, funny. Uh, without being immodest, I would say yes, I was. I learned early on that humour was sort of my thing and it could make me popular. And Because uh, I remember particularly when I was about, I was about seven, I think, at primary school, and our teacher announced we were going to do a, a version of uh, Peter Pan. And I was really excited by this. And I went home and, and wrote my own version of Peter Pan, which was obviously unperformable. But she said, well, all right, look, you can, uh, we won't use your script, but you can play any part you want. So I went for Captain Hook, obviously. And then I was determined to frighten everybody in the audience, you know, the parents and the kids. So I came on with my coat hanger hand that my mother had fashioned for me, shouting and being really scary, or I thought I was, and everybody started laughing. And the scarier I tried to be, the more they laughed, at which point, I think it was about then, I kind of realised, oh, yeah, maybe actually this is quite good. People laughing is quite good. I like this. And there on in, I was always trying to make and making jokes. And I was sometimes quite rude about my friends looking back on it. I was, I was almost a bit of a bully, although the person I bullied most is now one of my closest old friends. So perhaps that doesn't count. Uh, but yes, I, I learned that making people laugh was a way of making yourself likable. I think, who is it? Uh, Victor Borger said, the shortest distance, laughter is the shortest distance between two people. And I think that's true because if you meet someone who don't speak their language, but you sort of make a funny noise and do that or fart or something, and they laugh, then you have a connection, even though, even though you don't know what they're saying and they don't know what you're saying. No, I think that's a hundred percent true, and I used to love Victor Borg. It was yeah. uh, he. What for those of our listeners who don't know, they go look him up on YouTube. Yeah. It's hilarious, deadpan with yeah. the piano, and, yeah. uh, and absolutely brilliant. Uh, beautiful. He was Danish, wasn't he? He was Danish, yeah. And by the way, he was a big hit in America as well, which was always surprising to me that he he stormed it over there as well. Um, I was recently listening again, because it, it's one of my favourite bits of radio ever, of your Radio 4 Extra show about your dad, Sid. Um, I, and I have to say, and this is absolutely true, I was talking to somebody who works on uh, the podcast, Emma, and, and she said it had me in tears and it was the most beautiful, poignant, moving, warm and funny bits of radio she'd ever heard. And I completely agree. Your dad sounds like an amazing character. And you've just said you were at seven, you knew, realised you're funny, but he was funny, wasn't it? So was there some kind of genetic mix in there? Well, I don't know if these things are genetic, but certainly he, he valued humour and he, he had loads of funny stories, particularly about being a, a policeman on the beat that he used to tell. And he loved lots of old jokes. I learned a lot of old jokes from him, which I rejected in my early years, but these days, I've, I've come to round to, to loving them again. Yes, my father, he, he was a copper, and he, he used to joke, though, with the people he had to arrest, even though he didn't really want to arrest anyone, because he'd been in the war, and he'd been a prisoner of war for two, two and a half years. He ended the war in Colditz Castle, the, the, the castle, the, the place that became famous as a board game, subsequently. And... Uh, <laughs> 
he definitely prized humour and he was very proud of me when I started making it in the in the world of comedy and he used to come to shows and be very encouraging. So, uh, yes, I think there's no doubt that some families prize humour more than others and I think those that do probably will will have a happier time of things. Well, I, I think that's true. I think and it, and if it is valued and prized and, 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 and children are praised for, for doing it rather than given a cuff round the head for, for it, it probably will do it. You're, one of my favourite bits of the show, Sid, is when uh, you tell his Gina Lollabrigida story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which I just would, if you don't mind, I'd love you to share for our audience. I will happily do so. So uh, a man is washed up on a desert island with uh, Italian film star and a great-looking woman, Gina Lola Brigida. And it's just the two of them, and they find food and water and shelter, and eventually they end up sleeping together. And one day the man says, Gina, would you mind if I drew a moustache on you? and called you Frank. And she said, oh, okay. So he drew a moustache and he said, oi, Frank, you'll never guess who I'm shagging. <laughs> <laughs> Still one, it's such a great gag. It's just, <laughs> it's the perfect gag and perfectly told. It was absolutely. <laughs> well, I've got plenty more of me dad's old jokes if you want to fill out the time. <laughs> oh, well, please feel, feel free at any time that one, one, one presents itself to you. And we could just do uh, Arthur Smith's dad's old jokes Humorology right. edition. Yeah, uh, we could do a separate podcast. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's not a terrible idea, is it? Um, you've probably got hundreds, to be honest with you. So, what makes you laugh, Arthur? Ears. <laughs> Aren't they ridiculous? Slapped on the side of your head, sort of funny, flappy, fleshy things. They're ridiculous ears. I mean, most people, you could say you could recognise your partner from her mouth or her nose or her eyes, but not from ears. They all sort of look the same and they're stupid. And actually, I'm annoyed by ears. I've changed my mind. Ears? What the hell's going on with you? That's why I put these on to cover mine up. <laughs> no, everything potentially makes, makes me laugh. Well, not everything, but... I mean, I, I think there's no doubt that if you can see the humorous side of things, you can get through life rather easier than if you just uh, do me about everything. Because essentially, I think that life is absurd. Uh, was it Albert Camus said, the realisation that life is absurd should not be an end, but a beginning. And being alive is a ridiculous thing. And one of the great consolations of the sadness of life is laughter. And I always think it connects us in some ways. Because if you think about it, it's such a funny sound, isn't it? <laughs> I always think it's the closest we come to saying, you know, we sound like chimpanzees when we laugh, who are, of course, our great ancestors. Although I'm not sure if animals have a sense of humour, but humour is one of the things that makes us human. And therefore, I mean, you look at someone though like Donald Trump, and patently, he wasn't like a failed stand-up to me. And I think if he been, managed to be successful as a stand-up, we wouldn't have had all this trouble. But uh, he's someone <laughs> with no sense of humour, really. Like Mrs Thatcher, I kind of think, the people I dislike politically are those probably with no sense of humour. 
but so that's the 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 barrier to entry for you is actually that well i guess i mean i can get on with people without much of a sense of humor but yeah i could i don't i think one of the things that ties you with your friends is a shared sense of humour, no doubt. And if someone hasn't got a sense of humour, I don't really know what to say to them. Although I think everyone has to one degree or another. Well, that's interesting that you think everyone has. But I mean, uh, we obviously worked together for many years and uh, places like Jongleurs and the Comedy Store and all and Edinburgh and places. Uh, think how we've all seen people fail to be funny because all the open spots why do you think people fail to be funny well uh, probably everyone fails to be funny when they first go on stage i can think of plenty of examples. i mean eddie Izzard, for example for quite a long time everyone said oh no eddie Izzard's a gone but then almost overnight he found his voice i heard a yeah. story about jack d that, uh, I, I don't know if it's true, but I, I think it was a similar one with Les Dawson because Jack used to do stand-up and he, but he, he was doing all right, but you know, not that well. And then he decided to give it up, uh, at which, but he still had a few gigs left. But going along with that sort of, oh, I'm sick of doing this attitude, suddenly that was the voice that was his and he started getting much bigger laughs. I think it's a question of, well, there's plenty of people who are hopeless stand-ups when they start, but become quite good. And uh, it's just a question of finding your own unique voice. And that takes a time in, in, in entertainment. Well, I remember Jack because uh, we were all playing the comedy store and he was doing open spots and, and mm. he was basically happy Jack yeah. for quite a while. And then you're quite right that finding that voice. And I think that's one of the things Kim Kinney, who used to run the comedy ah, store, yeah, always Kim. used to say, yeah, always used to say, you know, you don't know who you are or mm. where, what's, what's your voice, what's your attitude. How long did it take you to find your voice? Well, uh, not that long in stand up, no, because I'd already spent, uh, I'd already done five or six years in a review company. Uh, where we did, where we, it was sketches, and, and but more often than not, I would begin to start doing monologues by myself. So the first time I did the comedy store, I died on my ass. But then uh, six months later, it had actually closed down by then briefly. And uh, I started getting offered to do MCing around little clubs in London and pubs. And I found myself through that, through and talking to the audience and only doing little bits between acts. Somehow that 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 shot me forward, and um, uh, so it, it it was a way I found my voice eventually, uh, and it wasn't too long a journey because I'd and I'd been in a band as well. I was the lead singer of a band, and I used to do funny introductions to the songs, and inevitably the introductions got longer than the songs. So I'd spent, it's a, the key is stage time, that, you know, the more time you're on stage, the better you will eventually become. And so if, you're, that, if you're still going on your ass after two years, give up. <laughs> oh, really? But, but I think I've heard you say that you're, you're, uh, if you've never died on your ass, you're not a comedian. Yeah, 
I think every comedian must have done that. Had a terrible gig where you just had, and then you had to walk past everyone on the way out, and they're all looking at you, thinking, "Bloody hell, who are you?" Well, the, <laughs> well that's part of the pleasure is, when you do do well, because you think, "Oh yeah, that's good." But the worst thing is that that that, that when you have to walk back into the dressing room and all the heads go yeah. down, when it, yeah. and you just never know. mind, mate. Yeah. But you had, I think, and one of the hardest jobs, and you were, I, I, I'd say between five and seven people could compare well. And Ardan, you were right up there as, as, you know, as being brilliant, because you had the hardest job when somebody died. You had to pick the audience up. Well, what's your tips for actually doing that? <laughs> well. Well, one thing is, in a sense, you have to register that with the audience, you both know that that person, so it's no good coming on and saying, hey, weren't they great? Brilliant, give them another round of applause because they're not going to buy that. I used to have a line that I'd stolen from, was it from an Anthony Pohl novel? I used to come on and say, well, I think we're, we can say, the least we can say about him is a, he's a reflection of the endless... Oh, damn, no, I forgot the fucking line now. <laughs> now I'm dying on the arse. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a reflection of the infinite variety of the human personality. And people used to sort of laugh at that I sort of put the person down without being too unpleasant. I mean, you could come on. I mean, as we remember, Malcolm Hardy would probably have just come on and said, well, he was shit, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, uh, we... we, we we were talking to Joe Brand about the whole Malcolm Hardy thing and the tunnel oh, palladium. Yeah. And we all, uh, did you have any experiences at the tunnel palladium that you, you remember? Well, oh, quite a few. I played the opening night at the tunnel palladium, which was, uh, for those who didn't listen to Joe, was a kind of pub stuck in the wasteland by gasworks by the Blackwall Tunnel. Uh, and yeah, it was emceed by the legendary Malcolm, who spent five years in prison, and he, he just didn't give a shit about anything in a way. Uh, well, I remember I was on last. I oh know I was on second, and the act on before me were friends of mine, and someone had thrown a bottle on stage and hit my friend, and I came on and did two gags. Uh, that were really like my best gags, and then said, "But if you think I'm doing any more, if you chuck." glasses at people fuck you and i walked off rather uh, rather self-importantly and uh, but as you remember often the heckling was so brutal there that the shows quite often only ever lasted 20 minutes anyway because everyone had been booed off immediately well, <laughs> did you but, have but, a bad but, one that did you have any there? Oh, oh yeah well both morris minor and the majors and the calypso twins um played it and actually generally did pretty well because actually they would you didn't know whether they were going to like you or not like you but we stopped playing it when um we went on to racist heckling when me oh. and Ainsley were going oh, on one, and we thought yeah no it's gone too far and I remember Ains going up to Malcolm and as you know because you know Ainsley very well as uh, as well Ainsley was really angry and he yeah, got Malcolm so. up by the wall and it went, we'll be having all the money, Malcolm. And Malcolm was like shocked and went, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah. Because it was, it was horrible. But they were, I mean, they were, they had like this group think. It was like they all, they all got together and well, discussed. Well, some of them did, as I understand, and they used to oh, practice really? heckles because uh, they're, 
there was one time, there was one guy who used to heckle in Latin. <laughs> but the others seem to understand. Nun sum quarat or or, you know, which is quite a novelty. Yeah, it, it was. So talking about heckling, um, should a good comedian or anybody, I mean, not everybody on our podcast will be comedians, obviously, are people who have to make speeches at weddings or, or business on everything. Should they welcome heckles? Because I think you and I agree that they everybody should welcome heckles because it can actually make the, make the thing go better. Oh, absolutely, yeah, because you're engaging with the audience. I mean, I'm not sure how good it is if someone's, yeah, if someone's doing racist heckle, then I think they've just got to be thrown out or something. But, uh, oh, yeah, and because and another thing about that is that people know that this is genuinely spontaneous. This is not something you've written down, although there are anti-heckle lines, obviously. But uh, actually, I heard that although sometimes the heckles can be just too brutal. I was doing a gig a while back with this guy. Uh, I won't say it was, but he was even older than me and he wasn't doing terribly well. And suddenly a woman's voice rang out from the audience saying, excuse me. I think you really need to think about the way your life is going. Which <laughs> <laughs> is not just your acting shit, so is the whole point of your existence. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I mean some heckles was... you just have to accept it and walk off, I think. Oh, was it the old Glasgow Apollo one where it was Mike, Mike and Bernie Winters? And uh, the Mike and Bernie Winters were on. And, and, and Michael Winters used to come on and do a little bit yeah. of, uh, hello, how are you, and everything. And then yeah. Bernie would put his head around the curtain and yeah. Mike was dying on his ass. And the, the Glasgow Apollo audiences were like just silent. And when Bernie put his head around the audience, somebody in the audience just goes, oh, fuck, there's two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story. No, I think I heard that story about Morgan and Wise. Also, oh, really? the Glasgow Empire, that's the um, well, That's one of those apocryphal yeah. stories, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it probably did happen to someone somewhere, or I don't know. So what was your favourite heckle and heckle put-down as well? I mean... Well, I used to have a couple of put-downs. I used to say, if someone was there, I said, nice to see the Bishop of Durham enjoying himself. I used to say <laughs> something. And then I'd say, I remember you. I shit you yesterday or something. If it was getting a bit... Uh, and then there's... Uh, there's I remember another incident when I was in Edinburgh and uh, I was in the audience at uh, Late and Live, which you oh, may God. remember. Yeah, I do well. It's a sort of start at midnight and really, you know, everyone was drunk. And uh, But I was in the audience and there was a... The, the actor who was on... He was, I mean, I didn't, I found him slightly objectionable. You know, he said to someone, you've got a, did your mouth bleed once a month or something? And I remember thinking, oh, that's not very good. Anyway, and then I started heckling him. I can't remember what I said, but I was getting quite a big laughs. And he said, oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't know who I was. He couldn't see or anything in the audience. He said, oh, yeah, you think this is funny? You think this is easy, do you, doing this stand-up? Well, why don't you try coming up and having a go? So I said, all right. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. About 20 minutes. <laughs> I remember another incident where um, I was at Jonglers and there were this bunch of blokes who were obviously pissed and they were out together and they had been heckling all night. And then, and then right at the end of the evening, I said, you have been a right pain. I said, I think the least you could do is come up here and give us a song. So what about uh, Lion Sleeps Tonight? Now, I wasn't really expecting this to happen. So do you remember a wimmer wake? And I said, come on, I'll start you off. A wimmer wake. And then they all started doing it. And then they did all come up on stage and then one of them stepped forward for the opening line, you know, in the jungle. So he could, and this guy, he had the most beautiful voice, and they did this sensational version of it. And it turned out they were actually a choir oh. who were out on the piss. <laughs> and it just, like, at the end, it was just the most astonishing end to an evening as they sang Lion Sleeps Tonight. A bunch of sort of unruly drunks suddenly turned into this glorious choir. One of the things I always talk to people about, especially in business, is about listening. Yes, that, that's that really, yeah. But you know, you spent spent your life on stage doing it. But what you're doing is you're really listening. And if you get a quiet heckle, or somebody says something funny, actually, you've got a microphone. You repeat it, yeah. and then you get the laugh. Yeah, you steal the laugh of them, and. Uh... And also, you should be able to control the situation because you're A, you've got a microphone, B, the lights are on you, C, you're probably slightly less drunk than they are. Uh, so you should be able to, to keep, to, to, to ride with the moment. And sometimes, I mean, there are, there are comedians who just improvise all the way through and just talk to the crowd, which is, you know, a brave and uh, often wonderful thing to do. You know, people like Dylan Moran and, yeah. 
Well, it's a high wire act at that point, isn't it, really? Yes. And people love that. I mean, and comedy is so great when it's on that sort of, it could go But that's why improv, you know, has been, uh, you know, is really so popular. And the comedy store players are still going into their 60s now. Well, exactly. And you and I have both guested with them over the years. That's right. Yes. But did you find that... Because I always, I mean, I loved it. And I, I I think you were at the same time when Mike Myers was doing it uh, oh, yeah. with us and taught us all the games in the afternoons and things like that. And uh, I loved it, but it was the one thing that scared me more than anything else uh, in, in, in comedy. You know, if I could... I, be on stage or have a guitar or have know where I was going. It was like a safety net. And I think the comedy store players call it comedy without a safety net. Yeah, yeah. Did it but then, of course, you? as you say, there are techniques. And I mean, I, I didn't realise that when I was speaking earlier on. I mean, if someone says something to you, you have to essentially agree with it and expand upon it. Don't ever say no. That's the key to uh, improv. You just got to go with the flow. Yeah, yes, and is the thing. Yes, um, right. Yes, you, and you 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 build on that. So you've always looked because a lot of our listeners, you know, their number one fear is public speaking. Mm. So you've always looked unbelievably comfortable on stage. Um, is there anything you can share that that might help people to to feel more comfortable? To well. Listen, like you say, try and be comfortable in yourself. Uh, have a couple of things up your sleeve if need be, but rest- respond to the, the nowness of the moment, I, I think. Uh, I understand for most people, yeah, public speaking is absolutely terrifying because everyone's looking at you. But if you just can try and be yourself, as natural as you can to listen to people, even if you're nervous, which you probably will be, just try and forget that and just focus on the moment that you're up there doing that. Yeah, I I agree, because the first chapter in my first book was uh, uh, the Pitching Bible was called It's All About Them. And I think Mm. people who do this really well, like yourself, who are think you are actually invested in the audience, not in your own head. If you know what I mean, it's yeah. it's you allow the unconscious mind to do it. Like when we're having a chat here, or if we meet for a coffee or uh, something, we we don't come with notes, do we? And go, no. you know. Well, in a way, that's what comedy is and improvisation. It's just you know that you, you you're not yeah you're not reading notes when you're talking to someone. You're right. It's a conversation, and you're quite happy doing it if you can get that degree of self-confidence when you're on a stage that's the key to it so is it essentially a trust exercise whereby you you are you are trusting that something will come because usually what stops people is oh fuck i don't know what to say and we've all had that moment at which point you have to put your attention somewhere else do you think people generally in in normal workplaces laugh enough is, is humour actually enough or is it being sort of like taken out of workplaces and this is, you know, this is now serious? And did people laugh more? Well, I, I, mean, I, 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 speak, I speak as someone who's never really been in workplaces that much, so I can't really comment. I mean, I've never sort of been in an office and surrounded by other people in the office. 
But I imagine that must be one of the things that would be good for an office to, to binds everybody together if you've got like some communal jokes and uh, and you know if something terrible happens well well we'll have a bit of a laugh of it instead uh, I don't know what's your experience of that Paul I just think it I think there's a lot of hierarchy that mm. stops humor mm. and so therefore when when you get a hierarchy people don't want to you know yeah. play and tease and and you know that's chide i think the word i'd like to bring back which nobody uses anymore i think is gentle chiding chiding with, uh, yes yeah when when i think and that's where the the life and the comes back into a workplace is when people can chide and play and do that but if you've got a boss who's very much on the hierarchical system and you know mm. um that like the old frost show sketch of you know i look down on him yes you know with uh, yeah. uh actually i i did a i did some corporate zoom a while back where and i have this joke where i pick out a name I mean, I've usually got the name before, or sometimes I just make it up. So, is there anybody here tonight called um, uh, Paul? Yeah, we won't say you, Paul. There's anyone here tonight called Danny Paulie? Uh, Danny, and they say, yeah, so Danny, some of your friends have come up to me tonight. They've asked me to say they think you're a bit of a wanker, mate. And I did this when I, I did it with the boss as the, the wanker. And I'm not entirely sure, but I've noticed I haven't had another booking from them since. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it would have got away with it if it was someone lower down the hierarchy, probably. Yeah, but isn't that indicative of a corporate culture, though? Mm. Because uh, I, I've talked to uh, a few people who, when they've done corporates, and actually I don't think it was Joe, Joe Brand, who was saying it's indicative. Though if the boss can take a joke, it's generally yeah. a good sign yeah. that it filters down into other people. And the, 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 Have you found yeah, that? So You've done the hundreds of corporates over the years, haven't you? Well, I don't really do them so much anymore. I, I think I'm a bit too wild for most corporate gigs. So if anyone wants to book me for a corporate gig, here I am. <laughs> well, you, you won't uh, go far. Because I've said right? some of those have not gone well. I remember I did one, what was it for? I did one where it was a bunch of car salesmen, and I did a whole load of routines about how I hate cars, which, looking back on it, was probably not a very good idea. <laughs> if I asked you to write a business case for why humour should be more for, for everybody in business, this could be in, you know, offices, it could be in factories, it could be anything, why do you think it's, it's actually useful as a tool and, you know... Well, I, I don't really know about business, but there's no doubt that humour is something that will always bring people together. And obviously, I imagine you know, in a workplace, if everyone is enjoying each other's company, then they're going to be much more productive, I imagine. So, yes, I would cultivate humour. Although, don't you know, some people are quite shy and you have to be gentle with them. But even the shy, you know, shy people are often the funniest when you give them a chance. So uh, it's just a question of creating an atmosphere where people feel comfortable making a little joke and that in turn will bring them together. That's what I'd say. So it's, it's a culture, basically create a culture. But do you think, I mean, things like creativity are more enhanced by humour because 
uh, if you, it goes back to what we were talking about the comedy store players and uh, the having a set of rules, if you like, that allow you to play, to be, to be creative. And if you are going, um, somebody says, you know, um, I hope we get can land this plane properly and you go, we're not in a plane. <laughs> it shuts everything down. Yeah, but um, if you are in a plane and you've got to land it properly, then that would probably be slight, well, I don't know, even then it might be. <laughs> yeah, maybe that would be funny even if you were in a plane. Well, yeah. <laughs> But allowing the culture and the and the atmosphere to to go, it's. I think one of the things that um, you have perfected. Well, you had it from the start, but is is an attitude of of warmth. And yes, I, well, I because so. even when you're taking the piss, it's it's done with love, isn't it? Yes, I mean that's one of the things about stand-up is is status you know some people some people deliberately play low status which is oh i don't really know what's going on and then other people play high status i suppose i'm more like that where you're sort of telling people about the world but the key is then though is to to listen to everyone else and to recognize that you don't really know what the fuck you're talking about necessarily because in the end none of us do <laughs> <laughs> No, well, that's true, but then that's... Uh, is that the ability to laugh at yourself? Yes, uh, yes, you well? have to be able to do that. I think if you don't do that, then you might come over as arrogant. And uh, the key is to recognise your own weaknesses, even if you're trying to tell people about the world. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a Plato man who said, uh, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. And, uh, yes, I can punch my opinions out there but I don't really know because just we're such a tiny little specks in the immensity of universes that what the hell do we know really nothing so let's have a laugh and uh, and uh, enjoy ourselves while we're here I, I, I have wise words why are we drawn to people who make us laugh so much what what is that that compulsion? Well, I suppose it shows an understanding of the absurdity of life. And that always brings people together. I haven't said that. I mean, I like Donald Trump again. He does not at all funny. And yet people worship him, although perhaps they do think he's being funny. I mean, he tries to be funny, but it's always just so awful. So I'm not sure if he isn't a, a denial of that point of yours, but humour is what brings us together in the end from wherever you are in the world every country every human has some element of humor and even if you don't know you know even if you look different your skin color is different you speak a different language you've never been in the same place together but humor can still bring you together that's what i'd say yeah no i think it's very important that people understand that you are going to make yourself more employable, more attractive, mm -hmm. more thing by finding the funny. Yeah, well, that was one of the things I learned early on that that's one of the reasons I went into stand up because you know I was more attractive to women if I'd been entertaining them on stage in front of a large crowd than if I was just sort of sidling up to them from shifty obscurity, which had sort of been my early technique. <laughs>
Yeah, laughter is good for making people like you. And if they're funny too, then you like them. Yeah, and uh, I think, is it also intoxicating? Uh, in oh, the yeah, sense? of course, and it's catching, isn't it? I mean, it, there's nothing funnier, is there, than when someone corpses on the on the radio or television and the other people start laughing along with them. I mean, it's infectious, isn't it, laughter? Uh, so in a way that, say, belching isn't. <laughs> yawning might be actually if everybody starts you know if everyone in the room starts yawning you probably would too maybe i don't know about that but laughter is the thing i mean you you know it's, it's an involuntary thing laughter like like belching or farting or but we don't pay to go into rooms to get people to make us belch or fart do we but we do pay to make them to, for them to make us laugh. Yeah, and and does that become like a drug? Because I think it does. You see, I I, I think once you've had that high, I think yeah. you you really are addicted to it in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, well, that was one of the things. A lot of comedians found it very hard during the pandemic. Is you just miss people laughing with you or at you or you know you miss the the, the the exciting moment on stage i remember one very funny moment one time when i laughed a great deal was when i was i was doing a version of hamlet in edinburgh years ago in the mid 90s and it was kind of a comic version but not entirely but i'd i'd done two tryouts before i got to edinburgh which had both been a fucking disaster and so then I, but then I went on stage my first show at the Pleasance in Edinburgh and there were like critics in the audience and various people I knew and I was terrified, but it actually went really well at the end. And then I took me applause, went out the back and I slipped over and fell on a banana skin onto my ass into a puddle. And I don't know if anyone ever had actually fallen on a banana skin before, but and I, I thought, well, this is hilarious. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed as I lay there with the banana skin stuck to my ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely image. <laughs> We've now come to the part of the show that we like to call quick fire questions, Arthur. Oh, yes, okay. Quick fire questions. Who's the funniest business person, i.e. non-comedian, that you've met? That I've met? Uh, Barack what? Obama. Oh, really? When did you meet Barack Obama? This is a story I want to hear. Uh, in my imagination. Oh, uh, I thought I see. he was really funny. <laughs> that was one of the things about Obama. Just, God, he's so good. He even danced well, couldn't he? And, uh, all right, now I'll give you another one. The funniest person I've ever met is probably my partner, Beth who just endlessly makes me laugh when I'm not in the doghouse, honestly. <laughs> you know, Beth is very, very funny. What book makes you laugh? Diary of a Nobody by George Grossman. What film makes you laugh? Uh, ooh, quite a few. Oh, what's the famous one about the band? Oh, geez, I've forgotten the name. You know, Spinal about... Tap. This yeah, is Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. Yeah, this is fine. I'm sure I'm not the first to have said that. I thought that was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. Oh, it, it is still genius. And uh, uh, I'm friends with Mark Bedford from Madness, and we will go out for long lunches yeah. where there will just be every line from yeah. Spinal Ooh, Tap. Oh, I want to go and watch it again in a minute. 
Oh yeah, no, it is brilliant and worth worth catching again. Um, taking a shift to the other side and going um, to a different direction, what is not funny? Death is, well, unless it's someone you really hate, but <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. Death isn't very funny. But, but death can be funny because you just did a gag about it. That's true. I suppose it, it can be funny if it's but not if, it, if it's your own, uh, someone who's close to you, or maybe your own death might be funny. Maybe that's the last thing that happens just as you drift off in, in your consciousness goes. You're in a great big hall of laughter. That would be a nice thought. That, 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 that's good. Yeah, no, I like that. What word makes you laugh? Kipper. Kipper? Yeah. Oh, Kipper. It? It's got a yeah. K, double P, and it's a funny fish. And I laugh <laughs> when I hear the word kipper. <laughs> it's funny. What sound makes you laugh? Well, a fart, obviously. I mean, that's one of the great pleasures of life. I mean, some people never really get beyond it. I mean, when you're about eight, farting, obviously, it's the funniest thing ever. But it never really stops being funny. I mean, if, if some, you know world leader does a fart unexpectedly during something it is just everyone will find it funny i don't know why but farting is funny trump trumping would probably be <laughs> yeah yeah that'll go viral yeah let's all go um... viral man <laughs> um, would you rather be considered clever or funny probably funny Especially since I'm meant to be a comedian, not an academic. <laughs> but it'd be nice to be both. But uh, yeah, probably funny. But don't you think that in order to be funny, you kind of have to, you've known most comedians um, that have uh, come from Britain in the last 40 years. Um, aren't most of them quite clever as well? Well, it depends what you mean by clever, but yes, I suppose they're quite adept at thinking and because you have to be, there's a degree of cleverness that, that's involved in writing funny material, yes, no doubt. So, yeah, all right, then I'd like to be funny and clever. <laughs> okay, you've got it. And finally, and I'm hoping this will be one of Sid's gags, but <laughs> desert island gags, you can only take one joke with you to a desert island, Arthur. What is it? All right, I'll uh, let's go with this one. So, well, should I do that one? No, I'll do this one. Two balloons get married and have a little baby balloon, and they all sleep together in bed, and it's lovely. But eventually, baby balloon gets a bit too big, and his mum says, "Sorry, I'll have to sleep next door now." So he goes in next door, and he's lying there one night, and he misses being in with mum and dad. So while they're asleep, he sneaks back in between them but he lets a bit of air out of his mum and then out of his dad and out of himself, and then they're all lovely. But he wakes up in the morning to find his mother is furious. Look what you've done, she says. You've let me down, you've let your father down, and then everyone can fill in the last punchline, which I always think is a nice thing. Worst of all, you've let yourself down. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Uh, <laughs> as ever, brilliant, funny, and so joyous to be with Lovely Arthur to Smith. To you, Paul. Arthur Smith, thank you so much for being on the Humorology Podcast. Cheers, Paul. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth 
creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production.